this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. So welcome to episode number nine of our series, and we're getting back into the idea about traditional therapy counseling um, not really working well for severely alienated children. And the reason is that we think these cases are very, very counterintuitive. That is, we'll talk more about that as we get along, but we're talking about things that just don't appear to be what they actually are. So let's take a look at some of the uh, issues and try and illuminate why um, this phenomenon is occurring. One is that alienating parents tend to present well. Targeted parents tend to present poorly. According to Dr. Stephen Miller, he describes alienating parents as presenting with the four C's. Care, cool, calm, charming, and, well, convincing. So it's cool, calm, charming, and convincing. Effective alienating parents tend to be very good at manipulation. You can manage impressions, including lasting initial impressions. Frequently, this characteristic commonly emanates from a borderline narcissistic personality disorder and uh, sociopathic types. Rejected parents, however basically tend to present with what Dr. Miller calls the four A's, anxiety, agitation, anger, and afraid. Targeted, rejected parents are victims of a trauma. Well, and you know what? Actually, so are alienated children. And they are trying to cope with a horrific family crisis. Frequently, they're attacked by professionals who fail to recognize the situation as counterintuitive. Again, Things are not what they appear to be. Alienating parents are frequently seen as more competent, resulting in a catastrophic situation for families, and especially children. Number two, the second reason why traditional counseling typically fails severe alienation cases, is that clinicians do not specialize in this area, and they often mistake pathological enmeshment for healthy bonding. Now, pathological enmeshment is where a parent engulfs a child, creating an unhealthy dependent relationship between them and the child. Children are adultified or parentified, where they are treated as a friend, a peer, a companion, not as a dependent. The opposite is also frequently observed, where children are uh, treated much younger. They're treated as a baby rather than at their current chronological age. Either way, enmeshed children are treated in ways that are not age-appropriate and puts the parents' needs before those of the children. Enmeshment involves serious 
boundary violations of the child and it obliterates a boundary between the parent and the child. According to research, enmeshment is child abuse and can result in permanent damage to the child. Far too frequently, mental health and legal professionals mistake pathological enmeshment for healthy bonding. What, what, what these professionals claim is that the child is simply very close to their parent. What is overlooked is that very close is too close, pathologically and dangerously close. Included among the mistakes many make is in their testimony is that the alienating parent and the alienated child have a healthy relationship and that they show great empathy for the child. Pathological enmeshment does not indicate empathy is anything but healthy and is comprised of severe boundary violations that are potentially life-threatening psychiatric emergencies. Well, number three, even in the face of abuse, children rarely reject a parent unless there is a powerful alienating influence. When they do, the behavior of estranged children is markedly different than the children of alienated children. Dr. Miller tells us that it is counterinstinctual for a child to reject a parent. Children do not behave in a counterinstinctual manner unless they are manipulated by a third party. Also, children will rarely reject an abusive parent. This conclusion is supported by a large body of evidence that shows even maltreated children develop and maintain attachment relationships with their abusive parents. According to some research, and the research, by the way, goes back to John Bowlby, Bowlsby back in the 1950s. Therefore, mental health and legal professionals need to understand that in the absence of genuine abuse or even very significant neglect by a parent, that most cases of severe alignment are due to alienation, not estrangement. This becomes especially evident in the presence of multiple indications of alienating strategies and the eight symptoms of an alienated child. Moreover, in cases in which a child vigorously rejects a parent, not merely resists contact, but openly and angrily rejects the parent, the estranged child does not resemble alienated children except in very superficial ways. Number four, in cases of severe alignment, children typically align with the abusive parent, not the non-abusive one. Most mental health professionals agree with this, although to some it sounds absolutely implausible. However, it's, it's really well validated. Children are innately attached to their parents, even to abusive ones whom they fear whom they are not only may they they are fr afraid that that parent may leave or abandon them. If a child is strongly aligned with one parent and has rejected the other parent in the absence of abuse or severe neglect, there is a substantial probability that the favorite parent is an alienating parent. Accordingly, parental alienation should be a leading hypothesis in such cases if not the leading hypothesis in these cases. Number five, parental alienation meets standard, generally accepted criteria for child abuse. There is no controversy about, about that among specialists in child maltreatment. 
Some professionals still claim that parental alienation is not a form of child abuse. Here's why that position is untenable. First, parental alienation meets standard definitions of psychological maltreatment as defined by the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, published by the American Psychiatric Association. It's the fifth edition. The American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children also presents such definitions. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, of the United States Department of Health and Human Services. So, for example, the DSM-5, the definition of psychological abuse, child psychological abuse, is the child's psychological abuse is non-accidental verbal or symbolic acts by a child's parents or caregiver that result or have reasonable potential to result in significant psychological harm to the child. The APSAC, the American Professional Society on Child Abuse, and the CDC, the definitions are substantially similar. The APSAC examples of psychological maltreatment are particularly instructive. One listed under exploiting slash corrupting is restricting or interfering with a or directly undermining the child's important relationships. Now, this used to be stated very explicitly. In other words, an example would be restricting a child's communication with his or her other parent or telling the child the lack of communication is due to the other parent's lack of love for the child. We note that that has been somewhat modified in their documentation. Not entirely sure why. There's sort of an anti-parental alienation attitude in the APSAC community. Another listed under terrorizing is placing the child in a loyalty conflict by making the child unnecessarily choose to have a relationship with one parent or the other. Parental alienation clearly meets these criteria. In addition, it is firmly established that as risk factors for major physical and mental uh, problems in, in adult life, including premature death, psychological and emotional abuse are at least as damaging to children as physical abuse or even sexual abuse. And his research to support that as well. Fellow by the lead researcher, by last name is Spinozola, published a documentation in 2014. In addition, there's research in the area of adverse childhood experiences, okay, that basically have been identified to be able to cause structural damage to human brains and even shortening the chromosomal telomeres uh, thus establishing that ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, can cause damage at the cellular and molecular level. Ultimately the research in that area shows that it, these changes basically shorten a person's life span. And, and yet, parental alienation cases are often managed both in clinical practice and in courtrooms as if parental alienation is not really abuse or is not of any major consequence. Astonishingly, one can actually hear an expert witness state that we don't really know if parental alienation is harmful. We don't know if it's a big deal. Seems somewhat uninformed. 
So number six, since parental alienation is a form of child abuse, the number one priority in such cases is to protect the child from further abuse. This point should be self-evident, and yet it is common for professionals to ignore or downplay the abuse issues and instead focus on the child's relationship with the rejected parent. Instead of taking appropriate measures to ensure the child's safety, they order or provide reunification therapy. This is problematic for many reasons, including the fact that in moderate to severe cases, traditional reunification therapy virtually never works. And quite often, if not all the time, makes the situation worse. And that's been extremely well documented. Number seven, even under a court order, traditional therapies are of little, if any, benefit in regard to treating this form of child abuse. Claywar and Rivlin, in 2013, they wrote the book Children Held Hostage. Uh, basically, the subtitle is Identifying Brainwashed Children, Presenting a Case for Crafting Solutions. This was published by the American Bar Association, by the way. The authors studied a thousand cases and had their findings published. And in Chapter 1 is entitled Brainwashing and Programming. Chapter 2 is entitled Brainwashing Techniques. Despite the author's findings that traditional therapies were of little, if any, benefit, despite the fact that this has been well documented earlier, it is common practice for courts to order such therapies and for clinicians to offer their services to provide them. Why do clinicians continue to work to provide such therapies and how do they justify such practices? They uh, Either they declare that the child is not alienated, which is often in the face of massive evidence to the contrary, or they claim that they are not providing traditional therapy, but rather family therapy. The problem is that traditional family therapy is precisely what studies have established don't work. In fact, effective therapies are radically different from anything that a non-specialist is likely to provide in an office setting. Number eight, not only are traditional therapies of little, if any, benefit in regard to treating parental alienation, but they usually make the situation worse, often catastrophically worse. One of the oldest heuristics in medicine is first to do no harm. It'd be difficult to find a more common yet egregious violation of this heuristic than an order for what amounts to traditional reunification therapy for parental alienation. Not only are such therapies known to be ineffective, they're also known to be potentially harmful. To be sure, we do not have randomized double-blind clinical trials to document this, but do we, have, we do have copious case reports and much empirical as well as expert consensus among bona fide specialists. What's more, one would expect that this to be true on theoretical grounds, for one thing, we know that such therapies waste time that could have been used to provide effective interventions. For another thing, effective therapies employ radically different approaches and techniques from those of traditional therapies. For instance, traditional therapy attempt to validate the child's feelings. They encourage the child to express grievances and give the child some control or choice while advising the rejected parent to listen, empathize, validate, and even apologize. 
and frequently apologize for things that never really happened. This misguided approach runs rampant in some quarters where referring to the parents it is common to claim both parents always participate. In effect, this further empowers the already over-empowered child and further disempowers the already disempowered parent. This is not only likely to be futile, but the exact opposite of what effective therapies do. Effective therapies disempower the over-empowered child and re-empower the disempowered rejected parent. And this is only one major difference between effective and traditional therapies. There are more than a dozen. Seen in this light, traditional therapies are contraindicated, except perhaps as a brief therapeutic trial for a few weeks, not a few months, clearly not a few years, if and only if the diagnosis is unclear. Number nine, in general, the risks of separating a severely alienated child from an alienating parent are very low, and the risks of permitting such a parent to remain in contact with such a child are very high. If one conducts a proper evidence-based risk-slash-benefit analysis, it should be clear that the risks of separating a child from a toxic, alienating parent are minimal. Moreover, upon removal, the risks go down, not up. Nevertheless, forensic experts often make irresponsible predictions in court to the effect that the protective separation of the child from the alienating parent is dangerous and would do more harm than good. Such opinions are neither scientific nor evidence-based. Richard Warshock provided an excellent discussion of this point, and we talked about that in our previous episode. In addition, Dr. Warshock cautions, custody evaluators should refrain from offering opinions that reflect sensationalistic predictions lacking a basis in established scientific and professional knowledge. He published that in 2015. It is not uncommon to find an expert to come in and say that to separate the child from the alienating parent is going to cause lifelong consequences, damage to the child, etc., etc., etc. And these are unbased. There's no support. There's no research to support that opinion. So we talked about some examples of counterintuitive points that you know, really probably could keep going, barely scratching the surface here. But it's absolutely essential for those who deal with parental alienation to have a, a very deep understanding of the issues presented here and, and in the previous presentations. Anybody who attempts to manage such cases using intuition, even professional intuition, instead of a deep knowledge of the science, are likely to make really catastrophic errors. Both mental health and legal professionals need to be aware of this. We challenged basically many common assumptions that detract from the quality of time-sharing and child recommendations, treatment, and court's decisions. The accumulation and the awareness of the evidence exposing these false beliefs and an open mind to future discoveries should guide decision makers and those who assist them to avoid biases that result in poor outcomes for alienated children. The result will be a better understanding of the needs of alienated children 
and decisions that are more likely to get needed relief to families who experience this problem. Thank you again, and please go to naopas.com. For any of the training programs, type in the word podcast in the coupon section, and you will get 50% off of our prices. So please do that. Look forward to it. Also, if you're not an attorney, please share this with your attorney if you're an active parental alienation case. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. Mm-hmm.